I was planning on doing a two-week series on studying the Bible. I mentioned this recently in the first couple of weeks in January. However, I thought that, uh, you know, there might be people here going, I was planning on reading the Bible through or going through a bread chart or, or starting a New Year's resolution, whatever it is. And so I didn't want to, if, if, if you're going, I want to get into the Word in 2023. I don't want to start this after you would already be in the Word. And so I thought, you know what, it'd be better to cover this now here in December. So it kind of gives you a fresh start as you head into, um, into January. And so the Bible is unique. It's unique among all books. It's timeless. It still dominates bestseller lists. People can say they're against it. It's changed. I don't like it. You still believe that thing? It still dominates bestseller lists. It confronts uh, just just it confronts our, our modern message. It confronts our, our our the day and age in which we live, and uh, it's as fresh as the news headlines today. At times, the Bible is so crystal clear that a child can understand it. But yet, the difficulties and the depth of it can also humble the most learned scholars. Diverse in theme and literary genres, it conveys a unified story. You cannot fully understand the Old Testament without seeing it revealed in the New Testament. You can't fully understand the New Testament without understanding the prophetic words and the intention of God in the Old Testament. Its single message climaxes in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The Bible was delivered through human writers, yet it truly is 100% God's word. The Bible can seem as familiar as a walk next door or as foreign as a distant country. And tonight, we jump into this series on the Word of God, and my hope is that I can help you to hear from God through daily interaction with His Word. And so, we launch into this series entitled, How, or The Power of the Word, and if I could give it a title for week one, it is the, How to Study the Bible. But it's the power of the word is going to be our series. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for, Lord, the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us, what we remember and celebrate at this time of year. But, Lord, your word is still alive. It's not an ancient book that was penned by a writer that died, and now it's just there for history. Lord, it's something that still is so powerful and so life-changing if we will allow it to be so. And so, God, please help us. Help our hearts and minds to be open. Help us to allow ourselves to be challenged, to get into your word. Help us to be open to different methods of study in your word because we want, Lord, not even just this next year. How about tomorrow, Lord Jesus? But especially as we go into this next year, we want to be more people of the word than ever before. In your name we pray, amen. Hearing God in the pages of the Bible, it takes time and effort. Okay, I can't, I'm not going to sugarcoat that like, oh, if you just get in the word every day, you just open up the word and it just begins to speak to you. It enlightens you. You just don't want to put it down. It's just, it's life changing. You feel your life changing as you read it. That will happen at times. And then there'll be times you'll get to genealogies. And there'll be times you'll get to stories and you go, now, who is this? I can't even pronounce this person's name. And, and you know, and, and you might say, or and there might be times where the kids are going, mama, mama, daddy, daddy, what are you going? And you're like, I was meaning to read the scripture. I can't even sit down. These kids won't leave me alone. And, and then you realize I had good intentions for my bread reading and I'm 13 days behind. But it takes time and it takes effort. Pretty much doesn't anything worthwhile in life 
I fully understand that these are two things that are at a premium in our day and age. The majority of people in our world don't feel like they have time for anything else. And if they're going to give effort to something, it better be valuable and clearly worth their time. Daily interaction with the Word of God is absolutely worth your time. But why should we do it? How can we do it? What is the best method in which to approach the Bible? Perhaps your past has been marked by starts and stops in reading the Bible. I'm not going to ask, but if I said, who here has read the Bible? Maybe you're like, oh, mm, who here has tried it? How about this? We can raise our hands for this one. How many of us have ever intended to read the Bible through in one year? Look at all the beautiful hands. Yes, we won't ask who actually, just intended to. So, now you're wondering, though, whether you have the discipline to engage the Bible consistently. Well, you're not alone. Many people have struggled with this. But in order to fully commit to daily reading the Word of God, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be filled with a bunch of tips and tricks and thoughts and stuff I've studied, stuff I, just things that you might write all these things down. I'm pretending like you're writing all these things down and say... Some of these I agree with, some of them I don't. Some of them I don't. Well, that's, that's, that's up to you. That's your prerogative. But I'm just going to throw out little things as I go. And here is one of the first things. Is in order to fully commit to, to daily reading the Word, we must first make sure that doing it is not up for debate. Because like right now, in your mind, you're like, man, I'd like to read the Word. I should do that tomorrow. That's admirable. But are you committed to doing it tomorrow? Like, have you sat here and gone, I, maybe some of you, it's already part of your life. Congratulations, keep going, keep doing it. If you're here going or watching online going, eh, I don't necessarily do that. I, I mean to, I intend to, I think I might, I'm gonna try. But you're not fully committed to doing it. That's the first, that's the first thing that we need to take care of is it can't be a negotiable thing. We have to be committed to it every single day. And so as you aim to make this commitment, you must remind yourself of a powerful statement. It's so succinct. Brother Luke, he said, these songs are just, they're simple, but they're powerful. I'm gonna give you another one. The Bible is God's word. Now, yeah, we've, we have, if you've been around churches at any moment of your life, you've heard that probably hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of times. The Bible's God's word. That we hear it so much, we don't really actually take it in and, and, and process that statement. It just goes in the ear, out the other, and we don't think about it. But now try to process it. Try to get yourself mentally engaged and go, hang on a second. The scripture that I look up online, that I hold, the app I use, whatever it is, it is literally the word of God. And to me, I go, man, I don't want to... I don't want to take that for granted. I don't want to not put value on that. If I said to you, tomorrow morning, be at your kitchen table at 8.30 in the morning, maybe your work, maybe 6.30 in the morning, whatever it is, God has told me he's going to show up at your table and speak to you tomorrow. Some of you still wouldn't, but a lot of us would still do that, and we would say, there ain't no way I'm going to be at that table. God is going to speak to me. And you know where I'm going? He has. 
66 books have been preserved because he wanted to speak to you. And so when we say, God, I just, Lord, I wish you'd speak to me. God, just speak to me. Thank God that we are not God because we would say to one another, are you serious right now? I have spent thousands of hours putting something together to speak to you. The God who spoke the world into being, into existence, has spoken his truth about life through the Bible. And he did it because he loves us. He did it so that we might know what he intends for this world and how we might live for him. He did not do it to become a New York Times bestseller. He did not do it because he needed money. He calls us to be word people. You might have heard this through the, through the ages. Maybe you say, oh, I'm a Pentecostal person, Pentecostal church. We're people of the word. Well, if we're going to be people of the word, we have to be people of the word. And so people who are countercultural in the ways we approach life, thus the Bible serves as the foundation for understanding who we are and what we should be doing in this world. I'm determined to offer a number of suggestions that you can start applying daily, and if you follow these things, it can actually take less time than it takes someone to sit down and watch a sitcom on TV. Most people think that committing to the Word starts with the time of day. Okay, when am I going to do it? Should I do it in the morning? Should I do it at night? Should I try and do it on my lunch break? Or what translation to read? That's the other thing we need to talk about is, okay, should I do KJV? And you're going to find people that think you're going to hell if you don't read read anything but KJV. That's a whole other story. But some people, what, 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 what order should I read the books in? You know, should I go chronological? Or should I go in the time they were written? Should I go Old Testament, New Testament? Where should I start? Should I start in Matthew? Should I start in Genesis? And these are questions that concern people. If I'm going to be a person of the word, where do I start? I'm going to present something different. How about start with your heart? Let's not worry about the translation, the order, the time of day right now. How about just start with your heart? In the parable of the seeds and the soils, Jesus uses a word, a a picture to describe the different levels of, of the receptivity of people that they had toward his word. And let's read this, Mark chapter 4, verse 3. It says, listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across the field, some of the seed fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed, it fell on shallow soil with underlying rock, and the seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plant soon wilted under the hot sun and, and didn't have the deep roots, so it died. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants, so they produced no grain. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil. They sprouted, grew, produced a crop that was 30, 60, even 100 times as much as had been planted. Then he said, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. We have ears to hear, so we're going to try to listen and understand. And so he says later, when Jesus was alone with the 12 disciples and the others who were gathered around, they asked him about these parables that he'd been speaking. And he replied, you're, you're permitted to understand the secret of the kingdom of God because I use parables for everything I say to outsiders so that scriptures might be fulfilled. And he, he talks through that. But uh, then he talks about the meaning of the parables. In verse 14, he says, the farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. So understand, he's, the seed is God's word. The farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others, scattering it, okay? 
And so the seed fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. Now, as you read this, there's really four types of ground, four types of people, four types of responses. And you will probably find that if you have served God, aimed to reach lost souls, make disciples, invest in people, that you probably can think of names and faces that fit in these categories. It's not being judgmental. It's just saying, hey, based on their response, I sowed seed into their life. I, I, I taught Bible study. I did this. I spent time with this person. But I saw this response. And, and it can be heartbreaking at times. Because we want, if I'm going to teach 40 people Bible study, I want 40 people to be good soil, depth, growth, reproduce spiritually, and be faithful to God. But even Jesus is saying, hey, people's responses don't all look like that all the time. But that can be disheartening, but that to me is encouraging in the fact that I have to sow more seed. Because if I sow a little seed versus if I sow a lot of seed, 25% on a lot of seed is a lot better than 25% on no seed. And so he says, the seed had fallen on rocky soil. They, they received for joy. Verse 17, since they didn't have deep roots, they didn't last long. Uh, they fell away as the problems came. Verse 18, the seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word. But too quickly, all too quickly, the message is crowded by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth and the desire for other things, so no fruit is produced. And the seed that fell upon the good soil represents those who hear it and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or 100 times. So he tells of this farmer that's broadcasting seed on the edge of a field, and some seeds fall on the hard-packed path, which if you've ever done anything, I've done a lot with, like, grass seed. You can't just take care. I remember when I first became a homeowner, you know, you just expect the store's like, this is the best grass seed that's out there. You're like, awesome, cool. It's got fertilizer mixed in. It's got blah, 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 and you're like, wonderful, great. And so you got this patch of grass, you just walk out, and you're like, Grow. In the name of Jesus, grow. But you see, well, it needs water. But even if you water that, if it's just packed down soil and you've never allowed it to get, you're still going to have some issues. Because no matter what, I don't care what people tell you, you, you have to break a sweat. As the elders would say, a little elbow grease. To break up that ground... Do what you got to do so that that seed can get down in there, and then it needs water. So you got the seed, you got the water, you got the sun. And so these things come together to form healthy growth. And, and so he says, some seeds fell on this hard-packed path beside the field. Some fell on rocky ground and topsoil, some in the weeds, some in fertile soil. And these talk about the, the various, these point to the various uh, images of, of the human heart once we're confronted with the Word of God. And so sometimes we will read this, and we just think about the people out there that like, oh, those people that don't know God, they never stepped foot in a church. They're unbelievers. They're people that are, are backsliders, people that don't, don't, don't know anything about God's word. But, but, but let's talk about our receptivity to the word of God. Do we assume we're all fertile soil just because we come here on Sundays and Wednesdays? 
And so we see in the parable, some people have hearts that are hard-packed, like a frequented footpath. God's word does not get through to these hearts. Others have shallow hearts that seem to open to God's word. The word comes and they respond. But the moment things get tough, the pressures of life override the principles of God's word. And the spiritual life withers. Why? Because the growth was really fast, but there's no depth there. And so when I hit hardship, I just say, eh, it's not worth it. A third type of person engages God's word at a deeper level. But worries and desire for worldly things, you see this a lot in relationships. You mentioned that a lot. People will say, man, I love God. I want to serve God. But I really want this relationship. And so in their minds, somehow they justify that I'm going to let go of godly principles to go do my own thing. And that just no matter how smart and close to God people think they are, it never ends up well. And so finally, those are, there are those who ha- have received the word with a heart like a well-tilled field. A field. You know, well, it's been worked. The ground has been broken up. This is a picture of a person who's fully receptive to God's word, and God's word brings exponential growth to their spiritual life. Why? Notice that that ground, it, it gets tilled up, it gets broken up. And uh, that's why sometimes God will use things to break us up a little. Because when we're broken up a little bit, sometimes we're more open to the seed. But yet we want to serve God. Don't break me up. Just speak to me. But in order for him to speak, he's, he's speaking all the time. But our heart has to be broken up and ready for the seed. And so, what, what, do we, what translation? Where do I start? Should I start in Genesis? Matthew, what, what's the biggest key? Biggest key, before you start reading Scripture, is you better look at your heart. I got to look at my heart. We have to look and go, all right, Lord, before I grab this Scripture, is my heart even open to what I'm about to read? Is my heart going to be receptive to what you're about to say? What if you address things that I'm not ready to change yet? What if you speak to me about some things that, uh, talk to my heart, Lord. Speak to me, Jesus. So which pattern of response describes your heart condition? The well-worn path where nothing gets in there? The one where you hit some problems and issues say, forget the principles of God? The one that says, I'm grown, but there's just not enough depth there, and then the other things of this life get distracting? And we're willing to set the principles of God aside. Or the one that says, it's all tilled up, it's ready. God, whatever you want to do, I want growth, I want depth, I want, to, I want, I want, I want, I want to, to reproduce a, a spiritual harvest of 30, 60, 100 fold. Perhaps you've never committed to reading the word or a daily diet of the Bible. Maybe God has shown you things in his word, but you hesitate to follow them because of the commitment or the sacrifice. What is in your heart? That is the place to start. Scripture itself gives a number of different motivators as to why we should read the word. 
And I can give you scriptures. We could sit here and read 15, 18 scriptures here. I have the references if you're interested after. But just trusting me for a moment that these are in scripture. To experience consistent joy. You want to know motivators as to why we should read the word? Joy. To sort out our thoughts and motivations. To guard ourselves from sin and error. To know God in a personal way. To know truth and think clearly about what God says is valuable. To be built up as a community with other believers. To reject conformity to the world and to renew our minds. To experience God's freedom, grace, peace, and hope. To live well for God, expressing our love for him. To minister to Christ followers and to those who have yet to respond to the gospel. Experiencing God's approval for work well done. These are all reasons to get in the word. But if I could, allow me to offer you, certainly, no expert in every part of life myself, but as someone who aims to get in the Word and things that I've found practical, I want to offer you 13 practical suggestions. That's not a joke. I'm not going to be on them all very long. It's just quick hits. But 13 things that I want you to write down, type out, whatever you got to do. And I'm going to put a slide behind me for each one. But 13 practical suggestions for reading well. We want to approach our reading of the Bible in a way that will lead to a fulfilling and faithful, fruitful pattern. Otherwise, all it is is, is it's a bread chart that you're trying to check a box. Be like, oh, that's right. I got behind. I got to read. I'm just going to scan this. Did I scan enough to, so that I feel good about myself to check this box? What did you read about? I don't have any clue whatsoever, but I got... I I visually looked at all the words and checked this box. That's not what we're looking for in Scripture reading. Because if that's the way you do it, then you're you're not going to deem it worth your time, effort, and energy. And it's going to be a matter of time before you stop doing it. So, number one, after we've prepared our hearts and our minds and our hearts are right. Number one to reading well is read the Bible prayerfully. Read the Bible prayerfully. Engaging the Bible regularly is a spiritual exercise. And you need spiritual power and discernment. Scripture talks about how spiritual things can be foolishness to those just average minds in the world. No, we're we're saying, hey, I might just be an average mind, but with your spirit, God, I need you to speak to me. I need you to enlighten me. I'm about to sit down and eat a spiritual meal. And so, God, bless this meal. Let it, let it speak to my heart. Let it talk to my life in a powerful way. And as you begin your Bible reading, ask God for a receptive and disciplined heart. And use the passages you read as providing you with thoughts and words that you can even pray back to God. I mean, you're reading prayers of David. You can, you can say some of these things. So as you read the word, it's not just about getting knowledge in your mind. It's God revealing himself. And really, you're even learning to pray, to walk with him. It's building faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And so we're building faith. We're learning things even as we're interacting with scripture. Number two, read expectantly and joyfully. (laughs) Tomorrow, don't be like, oh, yeah, that's right. He told me I, I forgot. Are you reading the Bible? Well, that's right. Pastor said we're supposed to read the Bible. Where is it anyway? No, go into it going, wow, if 
God is his word, and the word became flesh, and he gave us his word for the... I mean, I get an opportunity to sit down and interact with divine and divinely inspired, God-breathed words. And so as you pray over your Bible reading, expect to hear from God. Be joyful and thankful about the scriptures that, you're, that you're, you're sitting down and you're looking at because he's providing law and poetry and stories and history and theology and life principles. There's so many things that we're going to glean that we can go, God, thank you so much. I know that I'm getting ready to sit down and speak to you and hear from you. Number three, meditate on what you are reading. To meditate means to mentally chew on what we are reading. Think about what a passage means as well as the implications for belief practice. Think about as I'm, as I'm reading something, I'm not just trying to check a box. I'm going, okay, what does that read? What, do, what, do, what does that mean? And there's times too, this, has happened, this just happened to me today. I'm sitting here reading my Bible and... My mind got to, I, I, I was like, oh, I wandered to something that I had been thinking about meaning to take care of. And I looked back and I was like, hang on a second here. And I just went back. Because my mind got away from me for a second. So I had to, I went back and I went back to where I had, wait a second, I was right here. Because I, I, I don't want to miss this. It takes intention. And we have to meditate. And as I'm reading, I'm not, my goal is not to finish the Bible once, twice, three times, five times, eight times in a year. I'm going, I want you to speak to me in this word. I want, I want to meditate. I want to mentally chew on what I'm doing. I don't want to just get through it. Just as food. You, you, you throw food in your mouth without chewing it and just swallow it, you're going to get some indigestion. It's not going to be good for your body. Well, that's the same thing as Scripture. You want to chew it. You want to, you want to spend some time with it. Number four, read for transformation. We're going to cover this more next week. But the Bible is not meant to merely inform you. The Bible is there to transform you. Not to just inform you, to transform you. God's will is to mold and shape us into what he wants us to be. And he does that through his word. Read with expectation that, God, I'm about to be transformed. I'm about to read. I'm about to hear things that are going to transform my life. Number five, read with perseverance. Commit yourself to being consistent for the next 10 to 12 weeks. This is not a five-day excursion. But before you start saying, that's it, for the next 365 days, I'm going to do this, let's just say 10 to 12 weeks. Why? That's crucial. Because this is about the length of time that it takes to form a long-term habit. This is about the length of time it takes to form a As you are faithful with your Bible reading and begin to see it make a difference in your life, you are going to start to hunger for more. You're going to start to hunger for more. Because if you can go 10 to 12 weeks, you will develop healthy habits. And you're like, healthy habits. I believe in the power of the altar. The altar is, is amazing, powerful. Life changes at the altar. But the altar does not develop life habits. 
Sometimes as Pentecostals, we just, we just, we just, oh yeah, just go to the altar, pray at the altar. I prayed at the altar. I even prayed. I saw God's face. I went to the altar. I was at the altar every service and I still can't. Because the altar is not, the altar transformation takes place. I'm not belittling the altar. But sometimes we put all of the things that we want to happen in life at the altar, but we're not willing to put the work in. Healthy habits develop through healthy choices, through commitment, through this is what I'm going to do for the next 10 to 12 weeks. This is what I'm committed to. You can come to the altar and say, God, help me to read the Bible. God, help me to read the Bible. And he's like, I just did a whole series on reading the Bible, trying to give you tools to equip you. You have to make a choice to read the Bible. How is he going to help you read the Bible? You have to make it in your mind, and I have to make it in my mind, that this is not up for debate. My heart is open, and I am committed that I am in the Word, and the Word is going to be in me. And so read with perseverance. And as you do, you're going to find yourself starting to get just a little more hungry. It's kind of like... Uh, a baby as they grow, the appetite grows. Or if you went on an extended fast and you come off of that fast, you can eat one little bowl of soup and you're just like, oh my goodness, what in the world? Whereas for most of us right now, if we're like, you want a little bowl of soup, cup of soup from the restaurant? You're like, cup of soup, but that better be an appetizer. Bring me the meal. Because my appetite is beyond that. Well, that's what's going to happen in Scripture. You might start by reading five verses, and you're like, oh, wow, I'm kind of full. I have never really interacted with the Bible. But as you are doing this over 10 to 12 weeks, and you're starting to feel things and see things you haven't seen and experience things, all of a sudden your appetite is starting to go, man, five verses ain't enough. How does this end? I want to finish this chapter. Be realistic, number six, about the goals you set and have a good plan. Do you know this? If you took, hear me, if you take just 20 to 30 minutes per day, ready? 20 to 30 minutes per day, you can read the whole Bible through in a year. 20 to 30 minutes a day. It might require some people to give up. I said about the sitcom. So it comes 30 minutes to an hour. What's more valuable? In just 10 to 15 minutes per day, you can read the Bible through in two years. The key is not volume, but consistency and plan. Seven, set aside a consistent time and place to read and study the Bible. Make it a time and place that guards you from distractions and allows you to be consistent. I know my, my wife, I'm, I'm blessed to, to be a full-time pastor, so my job is spiritual things. I can go into my office, I can study, I can prepare, I can do this. She doesn't get that luxury. And so for her, I know that she does her consistent prayer and, and Bible reading very early in the morning, because if she does not, 
the kids don't sit and read their Bibles next to her on the couch. They're hiding the word in their heart, but they're going, Mom, Mom, ask me a quiz. Mom, what's my verse? i got to study. And so we have to go, okay, what works in our lifestyle? What works for us? I'm going to set aside that time, that place. And when you miss a day, just pick back up the next day. Don't give up. Don't quit. Number eight, read with a few good study tools at hand. Start with a good study Bible. You know, you can, believe it or not, you can actually buy programs where there's online resources that are like forty to $50,000. Even if you had that money, or I had that money, we wouldn't even know what to do with most of this stuff. Greek and Hebrew lexicon, and I'm going to compare a textual analysis of the Greek, like, yeah, right, okay? But a study Bible... And you, you want to do your research on these. A study Bible is, you know, depending, I just bought a really thick new study Bible. My, my son was like, what in the world? That's a huge book. I'm like, yeah, it's the Bible. Because back in the day, you know, you'd carry your Bible everywhere and you kind of wanted something that would be able to be carried. Well, now all the Bibles are on the apps. You got your iPad, you know, you're not necessarily carrying a hard copy. So now I can go into these big copies and with big print for various reasons. But I can do, I can do different things now. But when I study that, it's going gonna, it's gonna to give you background on the, the book, on the writer, on the audience. You're going to be able to read. And in the, right here, and different people like different things. These center column reference stuff where you look and you got to go over here and letter C, letter C. And then I'm going to go over to the book of Jonah. And I, like, I will never do that a day in my life. I just, that's not, that's not what I do. I want to be, if I'm going to study, I'm going to be on my computer. I have Logos Bible software. I'm going to be doing research where I'm highlighting a word, selecting it, looking what they're saying about this, seeing what the Greek word meant in that, or the Hebrew word meant in that. But I, when I'm reading my daily reading, I want to read. I'm reading here, and I'm looking down at the notes. I want to see what they're saying about chapter 1, verse 7. And I'm wanting to see about what they have the, on the background of that key character in that chapter. And things are coming to life where you're going, wow. And you're looking at, where was that on the map? Okay, so when they handed from Dan to Beersheba, okay, people say that. Well, you're looking at from north to south. All right, here we go. Okay, I can, I can cover all these. I can look at my maps as I'm reading these. So it's important to have a good study Bible. It's wonderful. We give you a Bible when you get baptized. Praise God. Start reading it. But if, you, if you're still reading that baptism Bible 20 years later, it's time for an upgrade, let me tell you. It's not a study Bible. And so invest in a good Bible study program. Maybe even have a good Bible dictionary. Get a Bible a software program. Number nine, read with pen in hand. I do some research on my Bible program on my software but I tried last year. I actually tried. I'm like, I got this new iPad Pro. It's big. I'm going to read the Bible every day on this device. I'm, I'm going to want to be a trendy pastor. I got technology. This will be wonderful. I hated it. I hate I'll preach from it. But I, I hated, hated. I don't know what it is. Maybe I'm a traditionalist in that way. But when I read, I want a, I want a book in my hand. I want to flip pages. And same thing with Scripture. I want to read. I want to flip pages. I want to look at things. And for those of y'all pausing and say, oh, I'm not a reader. I'm not much of a reader. I'm, I don't know who it is. I'm not, I'm not attacking anybody. You better figure out how to be a reader if you want to hide God's word in your heart. Like, 
If you don't know how to read, then you better get a good app that reads to you. Like, you have no excuse to not hide the word of the Lord in your heart. I'm just not much to read it. Cop out. It's lazy. God forgive me if I offended you. But um, read with pen in hand. Some people struggle with this. And, and again, you have to do what you feel works best for you. Okay? Some people are like, <gasps> I could never write in my Bible. That is the word of God. Okay? Let me put you at ease that the text is the inspired word of God. The pages that the company printed them on it's just paper. So you don't have to worry about the sacred text of the paper. But if you're going, no, that doesn't work for me, I, there is something powerful about highlighting, underlining, writing something in the margins. If you're like, I can't do it, fine. Follow your conviction like I talked about last week with Christmas. Follow your conviction. But get a notes app, get a computer, get a notebook, get a journal, get something where, where you're, you're journaling things that you're seeing, that you're experiencing, that, that you can go back to, promises of God that he's revealed to, words that he's spoken in times of despair, things that you want to see if you're a speaker, teacher, preacher. You definitely don't want to just go, ah, oh, that was a good thought, but hopefully when I get asked to preach sometime, uh, maybe I'll remember it. Yeah, right. It will never happen. There's some that I have a notes app of stuff. Like, a ton of these things here. A ton of these. Why is it not coming up? A ton of these. Notes app are like sermon ideas. They just haven't been fully developed yet. There's times where I put a sermon thought from Bible reading. I put something in there. Tonight, during worship, I picked up my phone. I wasn't just looking on my phone. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not just searching my phone in church. Feel the conviction of the Lord. But I literally had a thought from God during a song, and I was like, oh, my goodness, that, wow, that was something I was reading recently. And I just put two, two little sentences right in my notes app. There's stuff that I've had in a notes app that I ended up preaching like eight years later after it was initially started in a notes app. Just put down whatever God, if he's speaking to you, he's giving you something, write down that word, underline that word, highlight that word, whatever you do that works for you. Number 10, read in light of the immediate context. Not only do we need the big picture of the Bible's overarching story, we also need the little picture of the immediate context. So read with an awareness of where you are in the development of a particular book. But also, do not just read it through your lens and make it what you want it to be. You're like, I was just looking for something, and I'm really frustrated at this person, and I don't think I need to forgive them, and so I'm looking in the Old Testament to find out where you could just eye for an eye and tooth for tooth, and you could kill someone who did something to you. That's what I'm looking for. I'm trying to find it. It's somewhere in here. Like, don't go through your lens trying to find something that backs up your opinion. Go, okay, what am I reading here? Who are they talking to here? Let's see the bigger picture. Who was talking to who? What was going on leading up to this moment? When was it being written? Understanding the context. Dr. Seagraves, when he taught us at CLC, he said, the three most important things as you read the Bible are context, context, context. Got to know what's being said to whom, why, what was going transpiring, all that. You want to know that. And if you're saying, I don't have a clue, read it, get a study Bible. It will give you book introductions to each each book that you read. Number 11, do your Bible reading and study as part of a community. 
If it helps you, if you're saying, man, I'm really struggling, get family or friends that are, you can, now you can share the app. You can like do all these things where you, you're, you're on a Bible study program plan with other people and you can like share your progress and all this stuff. I've never done it. Um, I, 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 I'm going to read my Bible in the pace that I want and I'm not sharing it with you. But if you need my help with you, I mean, that's fine. But Maybe find people in church to read and go through the Bible together. Uh, This is a place that you can celebrate learning, pose questions to one another. This doesn't work for everybody, but if this is you, do it. Find something, someone. Last two. Number 12, read, read in light of the overarching story of the Bible. Reading the Bible is so much more meaningful if you see it in the light of how it connects. As you read, notice great interwoven themes such as creation in 1 and 2, relates to creation themes in Psalm 8. Isaiah 65, 17 to 25. John 1, the word become flesh. and built among Romans 8, 19 to 22. Revelation 21. You'll see creation themes all throughout. It's not just limited to Genesis. You'll see the Spirit is all throughout the, all throughout the Bible. It's not just Acts 2. Read book introductions. You'll see these things. Number 13, Read a passage in several translations. If you read some and go, huh? Go to another translation. Read three or four translations. Take a look at the passage. Doing a comparison of modern English Bible translations can be helpful to highlight key interpretive issues in a passage. Why? Because translation by nature requires interpretation. And so with almost any verse of Scripture, translators have to choose, given the context and grammatical constructions. Now, one person to just grab a Bible, like, oh, you can't trust your translations, which is, this might go into a third week, because I might go ahead and address that too. Like, how do you know that the Bible you have is, is the Word of God? Wasn't it changed? Who, who had the authority to do that? We might address that here come January. But um, there was such a process of, because we don't have original manuscripts. We don't have like that literally Moses wrote this on, and like there it is, signed by Moses. And we still got them in a museum somewhere. But they were translated to, to known languages. Well, in doing that, you had to look at the Hebrew and say, okay, um, I'm reading this. And uh, for instance, in our language, you might say, uh, uh, hand, you know, give me a hand on something. She caught her hand. The, it, it can mean different things in different contexts. And, and so they had to look at the original languages and go, okay, hey, let's look at this. And how does that translate into English? How does this translate into Spanish? How does this translate into French? And then so you're, and you're, you're working through these translations. Now, King James is a wonderful translation, 1611 was started as, they started saying authorized translation, but then they, they, they ended up finding manuscripts that were even older than the King James manuscripts that were, they were used. So they say, okay, well, there's certain things that I see that, that as, as language has evolved, because by the time that King James, the translation came on the scene in 1611, there were actually certain words that were already extinct by the time that that translation came out great translation. I'm not knocking that translation. But to say that's the only translation we must ever read, you must never read anything else other than that, it's just there's not really a reason. There's not really. God did not say, I'm going to give you the inspired word of God, and it needs to be in King James. Now, you have to be careful with translations, because like the message, there's, there's literal translation, dynamic equivalent, there's paraphrase, 
The message is definitely a paraphrased translation. It's kind of like, yeah, they kind of meant this. And so I said, Jesus said, dude, pick up the baskets. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm not comfortable with that either. And so we do want to say, hey, what was the, let's work to try to translate the most ancient manuscript we have, literally, to get it over here. And it's a di- at least a dynamic equivalent to what was said in, in this most ancient manuscript. I don't want just somebody's opinion of what they thought it meant in 2022. And so you have to be careful there. But to say, you must only read one translation. You can, hey, like the Christmas trees, like, like writing in your Bible, you do what you need to do. Just don't push it on anybody else because it's not true. So I have now read through the Bible in its entirety in, in, in KJV many times, New King James Version, NIV, not a huge fan of that, I'll tell you, New Living Translation a few times, ESV, which is English Standards Version. Um, this year I'm going through the Christian Standard Bible. And so I want to read it in multiple languages, or multiple translations. I want to see these things. I, I think different things pop out to me as I'm reading and studying. And so as I close, hopefully something here has been of, of, of some kind of benefit, but God's Word is not just a book. It's not just a book with facts, figures, and history. It is alive and powerful. And it self-identifies, it, it, it self-identifies as an alive and powerful book. Hebrews 4.12 says, the word of God is quick and powerful. New Living says, alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. You can read the word and think you got some things hidden in there. And God's not the only one that knows those things, but just his word is alive. His word will expose things inside of us if we will read it and study it and let it. And the Bible will transform us into what he wants us to be. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture, not some, not most, all scripture is inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. Scripture is not just to be an encourager all the time. Sometimes scripture is to show you what is wrong in your life. It's a corrector. It corrects us when we're wrong. Teaches us to do what's right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So when you're going, reading, look forward to it. Look forward to being, interacting with God's holy, sovereign, inspired word tomorrow or tonight, whatever you do. This is, for some of you, this is such an elementary lesson. Then, then take it and do it. Master it. Get in the Word. The Word is what changes us, encourages us, corrects us, brings power, authority. When we get into situations, the Word will come out if the Word has been put in. And so would you stand to your feet tonight and 
I'll call for you to pray and wherever you feel to pray. And I think what we can pray about is this. What's my commitment to the word, Lord? What's my commitment to the word going to be this year, tonight, this week, next year? What's my commitment to the word? God, I'm not even going to say, Lord, Jesus, talk to me tonight. He just did, and he's going to continue to talk to you. If you will let him. He's preserved things for you, just for you. And so if you just find a place to pray and just talk to him about your commitment to the word in this upcoming year.